Father, this morning, O oh Lord, we come together once again as your children. I pray, Father, that Lord, even as we now meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts, sanctify us and set us apart by your truth, O oh Lord. And Lord, that we will be vessels of honor in your kingdom, O oh Lord Jesus. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, anoint us, O oh Lord. Father, take away every distraction, O oh Lord, Father. Anoint us to speak and to hear what you have to say, O oh Lord, in this last hour of time. Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you prepare us and set us apart, O oh Lord, more and more in the days to come, even as we meditate upon your word. Thank you, Father, to that. And I pray that you would, Lord, bless the speaking and the hearing of this word. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. So this morning... Um, uh, this morning, particularly, even as we enter into what we call as the Passion Week, the Passion Week, where it starts with traditionally Palm Sunday and culminates with Resurrection Sunday. I mean, of course, the death of Jesus on the cross on Thursday and, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on early Sunday morning. So this through this through this week, I mean, all traditional churches, everyone who celebrates and observes Lent, uh, call this the Palm Sunday. And this particular uh, Palm Sunday episode is mentioned in all four Gospels. Very interestingly, all four Gospels uh, give an account from their different perspectives because every author is, of course, different. But even as you study the Palm Sunday episode, you will see something remarkable and even, even as we meditate, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to teach us as to what he wants us to learn from this particular episode. And by the way, this, is, this episode is mentioned in Mark's Gospel chapter 11, Luke 19, uh, Matthew 21, and John's Gospel chapter 12. Uh, and if you read especially the gospel according to Luke, you will see a particular portion from the gospel according to Luke chapter 9 verse 51 to 1944. In 1944, okay, a bunch of 10 chapters which are, which are dedicated to the passion of Jesus Christ. In that, he's traveling from some, uh, from uh, Galilee, uh, hope, I mean, he wanted to go through Samaria, but he doesn't go through because Samar- Samaritans do not allow him, and he ends up in Jerusalem, and of course that culminates in his, uh, in his, uh, in his crucifixion, and, and of course later on in his resurrection. So we'll just look at, uh, 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 at the account from the gospel according to Mark. I'm just, I just chose that for a particular reason. And of course, we, even as we read that account, we'll also supplement it with the other gospels as well. So let us look at Mark's gospel chapter 11 and uh, read from verses 11 onwards. Now when they drew near, uh, Jerusalem to Bethphage, this is verse 1 onwards. Mark's, Mark's gospel chapter 11 verse 1 onwards. Now when they drew near, Jerusalem to Bethphage and and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite to you and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tide on which no one has sat. Just just uh, no, notice those two uh, observations over there, over there. Lose it and bring it. Now, Gospel according to Matthew will say that there was a donkey and the foal of a donkey, which is a colt. Both were tied and Jesus asked that the, 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 the disciples to bring both of them, the donkey as well as its foal. So let's move on. And if anyone says to you, why you are doing this, say the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt by the door outside the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing losing the colt? 
And they spoke to them just as Jesus has commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the coal to Jesus and threw their clothes on it and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out. So there was an entourage of of people who are going before him and there were a bunch of guys who were going behind him and they were crying out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're all excited people now. We'll, we'll try to understand why this excitement is, is for. What this excitement is for. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things as the hours Hour was already late. He went to Bethany with the twelve. So let me just put the things into perspective. What is the background of this story? Background of the story is that incredible miracle that Jesus performed. A man who was dead four days. Uh, We have Dr. Richard and other doctors over here. Rigor mortis sets in from when? On the third day? The second day. Yeah, this guy is dead. Two days, rigor mortis sets in. That means it's decomposing now. A a body which has begun to decompose. Jesus comes and a mighty miracle is performed. Lazarus is resurrected from the dead. And that particular miracle spreads like wildfire. It goes viral. Okay. Now, that those days, I don't know how it might have gone viral. There was no WhatsApp or anything, but it has gone viral. Now, This is interesting. The reason why I'm saying is this. John's Gospel chapter 6. You see there's a miracle which Jesus performs in the multiplication of the bread. And after they see the multiplication of the bread, you know what the people want to do? They want to make him forcibly as what? As king. But he escapes. But this time, after this miracle, after the perform, after uh, resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, you know, Jesus comes to their place, he's having a meal, and everybody from the surrounding villages, they want to come, and they, many, many Jews believe, and much to the consternation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're so upset, they also want to kill Lazarus, because that has become a huge news now. So many people begin to believe in Jesus. Now, think about it, many, it says in John's Gospel chapter 2, that many, many miracles Jesus performed, and when he, when the people saw the signs that he performed, they believed in Jesus, but Jesus on his part, what he did not do, he did not commit himself to them. Okay. No, Jesus, there's a huge crowd over there. They're all excited. They've seen this miracle. Now this time, unlike the uh, the multiplication of the bread, Jesus himself is now entering into Jerusalem as king. Okay. So that is what the setting is. And the disciples are excited. The crowd is excited. The Pharisees are frustrated. Okay, so the Pharisees don't like his success. A lot of people are so happy that this man finally is the Messiah who is going to overthrow the Roman rule and is going to usher in the kingdom of David and we are going to reign forever and ever as Israelites and they are in for a big surprise. Even the disciples thought that would happen. The closest to him. Remember all the two disciples who were going on the road to Emmaus, you know what they said? We thought this fellow was going to you know, save us from the Romans. We thought. But he's gone. It's been three days now. See, they also were looking for a Messiah who would give them 
political solutions. But Jesus was doing something totally different over here. But the first thing you need to understand, if you look at the other accounts, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. That is the reason why he is called the Lord of prophecy. Look at what it says in John's Gospel chapter 12. When This is exactly the same account. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. They all know this prophecy now. They understood that Jesus is king. Uh, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things. Okay, He was sitting on a donkey's colt. Notice that. The disciples did not understand these things at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things uh, that were written about him, that they had done these things to him. So he was fulfilling prophecy. What an incredible... He was sovereign, no? Sovereign over all creation. There will be a donkey... Please go there. I mean, he gave them the GPS location also. Go straight, turn left, turn right. One donkey there. Actually, you'll find two. One fellow will also ask you. Okay. I mean, this must be like, the disciples are all going, I mean, what is going on, guys? I mean, this is, of course, during the feast, the feast of the Passover and all the Jews, because they have to come to Jerusalem for three feasts, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, and uh, on the Day of Atonement, if I'm right, three feasts, they have to come to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is packed with people. Alright, so then, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He is right on time for something. Let's move on. Revelation 19, chapter 10. Look at what it says. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Okay. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is prophecy? Every time some, I mean, you know, we have a lot of prophets these days. They will come and say, thus says the Lord to next year, by this time you will be in America in such and such a university and uh, you will be in such and such a job. Whatever. They've all Prophets, I call them soothsayers, palm readers, Christian palm readers. Okay, so that is not that is not not the spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives. That is the spirit of prophecy. So Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's fulfilling scripture. He's on time. You know, everything in his life, his life was motivated through the scriptures. Why are you doing this? Because it is written. Why are you not doing this? Because it is written. Remarkable. He said the son can do nothing except what he sees of his father do. That is the kind of obedience to the scriptures. He was absolutely conservative. If you will. Look at what it says and again in John's, John's gospel. What happens? And these guys did not understand these things because they did not understand. You know why? Because their eyes were closed. They don't understand what is going on because actually Jesus shut their eyes. It was only going to be revealed to them by the spirit post-resurrection. See, what? look at what it says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 onwards. <clears throat> of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time. Notice this please. Time. Okay? Everybody said time? Time. Okay? Keep that in mind. Time. 
It's crucial. The spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand, the spirit of Christ testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Meaning the spirit of Christ first will go through sufferings and then you will have glory. There is no glory without suffering. If it is not for Christ, if it is, if, if, it, if it was that way for Christ, it will be that way for his church also. Because it says in Romans chapter 8, if we are co-heirs with him, if we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together with him. So that is the, that is, that is the something, that is something which the disciples did not understand. <clears throat> Again, so what was, what was God doing? Christ in this situation was claiming to be king. Clearly. Very clear. And that the last time when they wanted to make him king, he ran away. But this time, he was claiming to be king. The question therefore is, what kind of a king? So let us make a few observations and let us try to understand, let us try to exposit the scripture. First observation. Six observations. What kind of a king was he? First, you need to ask that question. What kind of a king? Second, what was the nature of his kingdom? So you have a king, and the king will have a kingdom, right? And the king has a kingdom, and what he enforces is what we call as government. So what is the nature of his... From where is he going to govern? What is his palace? Headquarters, Ekada. Okay. What is the law of his kingdom? Okay, that is the fourth question. How do I become his subject? Fifth question, how do I know I am a subject? Six questions. My message is over. Okay? Let us review that. Some of you are falling asleep. Let us review that. Okay? What kind of a king is he? What is the nature of the kingdom? Or not nature of the king, in other words. What is the nature of his kingdom? What is the place from which he is going to enforce his government? Okay? What is the, what is the kind of the law that he has? What is the law that he has in his kingdom? How do I become his subject? How do I know I am his subject? Six questions. I will try to answer. Message is over. Hopefully my time is also up. Notice timing. Six observations. First observation. He is a king. And he is fulfilling prophecy. So let us try to understand what kind of a king he is. Matthew chapter 21 will talk about the prophecy that he was fulfilling and is quoting from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 but as let us read Matthew chapter 21 verses 4 to 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah saying tell the daughter of Zion Zion, behold your king is coming. How is he coming? What is the nature of the king? He is lowly. He is not coming on a horse. He is coming on a donkey. And a donkey which was never ever used before. I was actually trying to look up on the internet. How to tame a donkey. Okay. It is not easy. One fellow was trying to sit on it. Started kicking. Apparently donkeys have 360 vision. They have eyes here, right? They can see 360 degrees. So, if you slowly try to approach the donkey from the behind, it will give you one shot. Now, this is incredible. The 
incredible thing is, he is not going to sit on the mother donkey. He is going to sit on the foal, the colt of the donkey. And that donkey was never ever tamed. Now when that donkey comes and Jesus sits on it, it is not going to resist him. The time, the previous time when there was a donkey which was used to anoint a king, you know, it was only during the time of Solomon. Solomon was anointed as king and he was actually on a gardida. Okay, on a donkey and he was set and was made king. That is the only precedence that we have. Okay, so this, this, he's not, he's not coming as a, as a conquering king on a horse. You know, those days when uh, people used to, when the emperor used to come into the kingdom, after having won a huge war, girls would be there, men would be there, everybody throwing flowers. Remember Moses and Ten Commandments? The movie. They were throwing flowers and there's a huge entourage and they're all coming. But you know, in this case, nobody's throwing flowers. Everybody's throwing their they didn't have money to even buy flowers, so they did, took palm leaves and put them on the on the floor on the road. And Jesus was passing on the on the road like that. So first thing you need to observe, he was what kind of a king he is? He's a lowly king. Okay. If you say, "Mama, you are king," means are you lowly? No, no, no. We are very proud. Nubu king, mama. That dialogue in, in, in India and Hyderabad is very, very different from being lowly. He's far from being lowly, actually. He's a rebel star, basically. This is a lowly king. And something else about this king, something else. Look at Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice. This is exactly what Matthew is quoting. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. He is just having salvation and then he is what? Lowly. Three characteristics of the king is mentioned. First, he is a righteous king. Then he is a what? Has got salvation in his hands. He has got the power to save. And he is also lowly. Now the thing is, it is an oxymoron. How can a lowly, humble king have the power to save? And how do you come to this conclusion that he is righteous from this context? First, what is the nature of the king? That he is a righteous king. Let us see Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Everybody knows this. You have what? Loved righteousness and hated. See, there are two kinds of people. There are people who are righteous because they are scared of punishment. You see? He is not talking about that kind of righteousness. He is a person who loved righteousness and he hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, his God, anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Matthew chapter 21, verses 2 to 3. Go into the... Now, look at this. How do we know that he is righteous? We need to come to a conclusion as to how this man is righteous, right? How does this passage say that Jesus is actually righteous? Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. Go into the village opposite to you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied. See that? Donkey tied. And a... Cold with her. That means there's a donkey, a mother donkey, and a colt. Both are tied. Lose them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. In other words, there is a bacha and there is a amma. 
don't leave the amma bring both of them why is a question now i am using this to prove that jesus is what righteous how can a simple act of untying a mother donkey and its colt and bringing them together prove that jesus is righteous you understood the question okay how can simple act of bringing the mother donkey along with the bachcha is not going to use a mother donkey he is going to sit on the colt but bringing them together prove that jesus is righteous is a question so i was like trying to look at i was trying to study this look at some precedences before in the bible where this kind of a thing happened where you had mother and you had mother and you had calves can you remember a story in in uh, amar chitra kada remember the story of the cow who was confronted by the tiger tiger said i am going to eat you cow was in the jungle tiger said i'm going to eat you and uh, mother said see you know what i have got a small baby at home okay please let me go and nurse my baby and come back and then you can kill me oh tiger said ha oh, really you're really going to come back he said believe me i will come back so what does his mother do goes to the goes back home feeds the feeds the calf the last milk meal whatever and then comes back to the lion and lion says what a mother and that is a story that i heard when i was growing up there is another story in the bible where calves and mother are separated do you know which place yes 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 ark of the covenant thank you very much you see in first samuel chapter 6 you have a very interesting precedence you see now therefore make a new ark now this is new card meaning now the philistines have captured the ark of the covenant they thought that now they their top and they put them in their country and their country got messed up royally now they want to get rid of the ark now how do they get rid of the ark this is the procedure they follow now therefore make a new cart take two milk cows okay which have never been yoked hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves calves home hitch the cows to the cart take their calves home this is exactly what philistines do separate the mother and the children then the men did so they took the two milk cows hitched them to the cart and shut up the, their calves in home at the home and they set the ark of the lord on the cart and what happens then the cows headed straight for the road to bethshemes and went along the highway lowing as they when what is lowing they were weeping as they went because they have been separated from their mother now think about it now what jesus is doing on the contrary he is saying bring the mother along with the cold don't separate them now i am saying that this proves that jesus is righteous how do i know that hmm. how many of you remember proverbs chapter 12 verse 10 good look at what it says let's read this together read that a righteous man has what regard for the life of his beast but the compassion of the wicked is what cruel even when the wicked show compassion that is cruel but a righteous man you know there's there's a saying in telugu chima kuda haani cheyadamma anta manchodu 
Man, this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, how do I know that I'm righteous? I'm righteous because I will show kindness to even the most insignificant animals which I created. It's a kindness of God which proves that he is righteous. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, we all know this, right? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. It is because God was kind to us. He was only was, he was able to be kind to us because he was righteous. He was a righteous God. His kindness is also righteous. His love is righteous. His mercy is righteous. Everything about him is righteous and holy. That is the first nature of the king. He is a a righteous king. Second, what is the second thing about the king that we looked at from Zechariah chapter 9? He is, he has the, he has, he's having what? Salvation. What does it, salvation mean? He has the power to save. Power to save us from what is the question. We all know this, right? Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will bear a son and she'll call his name what? Jesus and he will save his people from there. That is the thing. How does he have power to save? I'll tell you how he has power to save. This is how he asked. He was made sin. He who did not know sin was made sin so that we may be made what? Righteous. That is how he had the power to save. That is how a righteous God was righteous in punishing Jesus for our sin and also merciful in extending, imputing his righteousness upon us and letting us go and justifying us freely. That is... He's got the power of, power to save. First, he's a righteous king. Second, he's a king who has the power to save. Not just to save us from the penalty of our sin, also from the power of sin. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6 verses 10 to 11. Look at what it says. For the death that he died, he died to sin. How many times? Once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. If Christ wouldn't have died for us, it was impossible for us to overcome sin in our lives. Not just that we will not have the power, we will not have the forgiveness of our sin, it is impossible for us to overcome the power of sin in our lives. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Where one of my favorite verses, it says, For Christ also suffered how many times? Once. Once is enough. Infinite God suffered once, that is infinite punishment. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. This is what, is it, what does it say? What does just mean? He's righteous, right? He just for the, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. He died how many times? Once for our sins. Again, look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But now he has prepared, appeared how many times? Once and for all at the end of uh, end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He literally broke the power of what we call cancelled sin. That's what Charles Wesley wrote. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean his blood availeth for me oh for a thousand tongues to sing my great redeemer's praise the glories of our God and king the powers of his grace the riches of his grace you see once and for all what is he he's a king who is righteous second he's a king who is having the power to save us having salvation second second thing again again Acts chapter 4 verse 12 
Salvation exists in no one else for there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. You see that? Again, First Timothy chapter 3, 2 verse 5. What does it say? For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So we have the first nature of the king. What is the nature of the king? He is what? Yes, he is righteous. Second, he has the power to save. What is the third thing? He is lowly. Look at what is what what did scripture say about being lowly. What is he? He is lowly. What does lowly mean? One place where he showed, demonstrated his humility. John's Gospel chapter 13 verse 12 onwards. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, and you will, and you say, well, for so am I. If I, then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is what we call as a servant king. When Pradhan Mantri Modi in 2016 became the the then Pradhan Mantri. 2014? 2014 if I'm right. Yeah, 14. And the first Independence Day message. Speech, not message, speech from the ramparts of uh, the Red Fort. You know what he said? Medeshka Pradhan Sevakhu. Pradhan Sevakhu. And we know what that Pradhan Sevak did. He was only flying from one place to another all the days of his prime ministership. That is what our Pradhan Sevaks do. But Jesus said, I am the prime minister. You know what I am the prime minister will do? I will come and wash. Your feet. That is humility. It's a lowly king. A man who took the lowest position. You know what? When you are on your face before God, flat on your face before God, can anybody make you fall? No one. You're already fallen. Can anybody else make you fall? No one can make you fall. That is what we call call low center of gravity. That's what I was talking about on Wednesday. Low center of gravity. We'll all become BMWs suddenly. The most stable cars. See? That's exactly what First Peter chapter 5 will say. Peter learned this from Jesus. You know what he says? The elders who are among you, I exhort you who am a, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who are being entrusted but being examples to the flock. So you have three nature, three, three things about the king that we learned. What is the first thing we learned? He is a just king. Second thing we learned about his nature is that he is a, he's got the power to save. Third thing we learned about him that he is lowly. He is a humble king. Humble king is an oxymoron almost. But he's humble. So first, what kind of a king he is? Second, what kind of a kingdom does he have? Right? The king determines the kingdom, right? Hitler determines Nazi Germany. Trump determines America. Modi determines India. You see, the head determines the kingdom. Yatha, Raja, Tadha, Praja. Kya baat hai? You see, this is what exactly he's talking about. Just like the king, so will be the subjects. Just that nature of the king will be transmitted into the kingdom. So what is the king? What does the kingdom look like? Let us see. 
first Romans chapter 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of it is not a matter of what we shall eat and what we shall drink. It is what? It is righteousness, peace and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. What does it tell me? The first thing about this kingdom is, you know what? It is a what kingdom? Not a natural kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. First thing you need to understand. It is not a natural kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 50. We know this chapter very well. It's called the chapter on the resurrection. Now this I say, that flesh and blood cannot inherit what? The kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. It is not a natural kingdom. It is not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual kingdom. So what does it tell me? First thing, it is not a natural kingdom, it is a spiritual kingdom. Second thing, it is not of the soul, but of the spirit. Soul meaning intellects. See, many, many places, every country has a bunch of intellects who determine the policy of their country. So, you know, every every president, prime minister, he has a bunch of guys, IAS, officers, finance, everybody was thinkers who are like the top in their field. They advise the king. And the king takes their advice and makes geos, government orders. And that becomes the government of the king. But that is not, in, that is all intellectual. So whenever you have a natural kingdom that automatically extends it, itself into a level of the soul. But look at what it says. And again, First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 44 to 49. It is sown a natural body. But raised as a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. And so it is written. The first man Adam was what? A living soul. But the last Adam was a life giving quickening spirit. How be it that was not the first which is spiritual. But that which is natural. And afterwards that which is spiritual. So you see it is not the natural kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is not at the level of the soul. It is at the level of the spirit. Then. So what happens? If this is a spiritual kingdom. And if you want to enter into this kingdom. What kind of a people should we be? We should be spiritual beings. That means at every level. When the kingdom of God comes. There is always a confrontation in the spiritual realm. Spirits. There is a power of darkness. And there's a power of the of light. There's a power of Satan. And there's a power of God. It is a battle in the spiritual realm. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us where? From the kingdom of darkness. And translated or transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son. Starts, takes us from the kingdom of darkness. Which is again a spiritual kingdom. And translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. Look at what it says in Luke's gospel chapter 11 verse 20. We know this verse very well. <clears throat> But if I by the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt what? The kingdom of God has come upon you. And what is the finger of God? Remember? Three, first three miracles, signs. Change the stick into snake. Magicians also did. Change the water into blood. Magicians also did. Cha- get frogs 
That's an idiotic thing. They also got frogs. They should have listened to frogs, but they, they also got frogs. After that, the next miracle is the miracle of turning dust into lice. Now, once they did it, the magicians also tried it. They said, Pharaoh, we can't do it. You know what they said? This is the finger of God. And look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. If I, by the Spirit of God will drive out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, it is a spirit of God. It is a spiritual kingdom. First thing, first nature of this kingdom. It is not a natural kingdom. So let me tell you something. Every trouble that you face in your life, there is no natural solution for it if if you are a believer. There is only a spiritual solution. There's no intellectual solution. You cannot intellectualize Christianity. We use our intellect, but the solution is of the spirit. You need to understand that. And many, many people make this mistake. They think that you can have soulish or intellectual solutions to spiritual problems when the spirit, when the kingdom of God is absolutely a spiritual kingdom. It is not a natural kingdom. It does not mean that we don't take care of our bodies. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm saying that every problem a believer faces, there is a spirit behind it. I don't believe a believer can be possessed by demons, but he can be oppressed by demons, for sure. It's called diamond somai. Oppressed by demons. You can. And if you're looking for natural solutions for spiritual problems, you're, you know what? You're, you're actually outdated. It's like, I mean, actually, spirit is the most, it's going to be like the most state of the art. Every other solution, whatever solution with the intellect that you come up with is not going to overtake the spiritual solution. So understand that. Okay. So whenever you're going through a problem, if in your relationships, at your office, in your life, when you're not able to overcome sin, they are If you are not able to concentrate on Sunday morning. It's what we call as a spirit of slumber. If you are not able to worship. We sang that song. Put on the garment of praise for a what? For a spirit of heaviness. And so many people. They are not able to worship. Because they are oppressed by a spirit of depression. It's a spiritual solution. It's a spiritual kingdom. That is the nature of the kingdom. First thing, it is a what kingdom? It is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, the ruler is also of the spirit. My words are what? Life and they are spirit. See? Understand that, my dear brothers and sisters. Second, it is not this world. It is otherworldly. John's Gospel chapter 18 verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is what? Not of this world. You need to understand. If you are being trapped by the world system. That is the reason why Jesus said. Love not the world. Not the things in this world. If you love the world. Or the things of the world. What is not in you? The love of the father is not in you. Because this is an otherworldly thing. This is not of this world. This is of the other world. <clears throat> you know one of the things that we need to constantly ask. Lord give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God has blessed me with. What blessings? 
Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, even the blessings that he has given us are not natural blessings, they are spiritual blessings. Understand that. Okay, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. So you know what Spurgeon says? If an, if an earthly army gives you, come in, if an earthly kingdom comes and says, use our army. You know what? You look at that army, all these six foot guys with their AK-47s, you'll say, these guys are useless. Who's your army? You see that old lady over there who surrendered her life to Jesus on her knees? That is my army. If you've seen the movie 300, yeah, you have saw 300 movie, no? So this bunch of this, uh, this, I don't know what's his name, Leonardus, I guess, yeah? Leonardus is going to fight the Persians with a bunch of 300 guys. Now even as he's going, there's like another bunch of guys who wants to assist Leonardus. And Leonidas, they come and look at Leonidas and says, Leonidas, what are you trying to do? We are going to fight the Persians. How many soldiers do you have? 300 soldiers. And this guy, he comes with a huge bunch of, you know, all these masons and carpenters and farmers and they are huge in number. And he tells Leonidas, are you going to fight the Persians with 300 people? Really? And you know what Leonidas says? How many of your people are willing to die? Bunch of guys are all scared and you know, they're, they're not very sure. And then he looks at his people and he says, how many of you guys are willing to die? Ah, You know, remember that? And then what he says, the other guy, my dear brother, I brought more soldiers than you. Your soldiers are useless. Similarly, when we fight the spiritual battles, we are not going to use natural people, natural methodologies to fight these. That's the reason why I said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God. Through the pulling down of strongholds, weak people on their knees, they are the soldiers in God's army. You understand that? Okay? It is otherworldly. It is not a natural kingdom. It is a spiritual kingdom. Second. Second thing. Third thing. It's a kingdom which is built upon righteousness. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. But to the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. So if I want to be a part of this kingdom, how should I be walking? In? Oh, let us see. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight. So the, if this is the kingdom, in this kingdom, you don't walk by sight, you walk by faith. It's a, it's a kingdom which is built upon faith and not sight. So first you have a kingdom which is spiritual, not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual kingdom, not a soulish kingdom. It is otherworldly, not thisworldly. It is a kingdom in which righteousness dwells and the only way you can appropriate the resources of this kingdom is by walking by faith. Got it? That is the nature of the kingdom. And then, finally, it's a kingdom based upon truth. 
Understand that? It's a kingdom based upon truth. John's gospel chapter 18 verses 36 to 37. This is what he says. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And you know what he says? He goes on to say, 36 to 37, Pilate therefore answered him, are you a king then? Jesus said, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. It is a kingdom which is based upon truth. What does it mean to be of the truth? Of the truth. What what does it mean to be of the truth? People whose lives are built upon truth. That's what it means. Not on lies. Okay? It's a kingdom which is based upon truth. So much for the king. So much for the kingdom. And let us see what is the place he's going to govern from. That's the next thing which I want to look at. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 9 onwards. Let us read this. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Save us now. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then what does he do? What do you expect? Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. That is Pilate's palace. That is temple. Where does Jesus go? Not to the palace, but to the temple. So where is he governing from? Not from the palace, but from the temple. Understand that. Notice that. So, and Jesus went to Jerusalem and where? Into the temple. So when he had looked around at the things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Acts chapter 7 verses 48 to 49. Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, says the Lord. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What kind of a house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? So who is the temple now? You and me are the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? First, First Corinthians chapter 6. So what is the place from which he's going to govern? My heart. That is the place. But we'll need to understand this a little more. Okay. Let us try to understand what this means. Let us go back to Mark's gospel chapter 11. The next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it to eat. When he came to eat, uh, came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not season for the figs. In response, Jesus said to it, to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Let's move on. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold at the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And he taught taught them saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it to a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried from its roots. And Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, Look, the fig tree which you have cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered and said to him, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. First, nature of the king. Let us, we understood the nature of the king. Second, he understood the nature of the kingdom. Third, we have to understand the place where he is going to govern from. Now, to understand the place to where he is governing from, there is a very interesting thing that Mark does. Jesus goes to the temple. Nobody there because it's late in the evening. He goes out, finds a fig tree, curses it, goes back to the temple, overthrows the money changers, teaches them, comes back and he finds the fig tree again and it is withered. They are all astonished. What is God trying to teach here? How many of you like sandwiches? Okay, Best sandwich that I had was one of the sandwiches that we had on uh, on the 10th of April. The chicken sandwich. If you have observed a sandwich, it has got one outer bread and it has got one whatever that is called, patty or curry or mixture or whatever it is. And then you have the another bread, which is holding these two together. What gives sandwich the taste? The middle part. What gives sandwich the nourishment? The middle part. Bread is only there to hold the middle part. Especially if it is made from maida. Okay, if white bread, useless. Because somebody said, whiter the bread, the quicker you are dead. Okay, so it is not, not no no thing in it. No no nutrients, nothing there. Only maida. It's only give you it's going to give you carbohydrates and fat. So nothing of nutrition nutritious value in the bread per se. But what gives nutrition is the so whatever the mixture that you have. What, what do you call it? Huh? Stuffing. Thank you. All right, the stuffing. Mark's gospel, by the way, is full of sandwiches. We call them. Markan sandwiches. Sounds like a Mallu name. Vijayan, Markan, Natarajan, Venkatesan, Markan. Okay. So, Markan sandwiches. No, this is not my theory. This is all, all biblical scholars. They call, this is what we call as a sandwich theorem. It is there in Mark's gospel. It is there in the Bible. Particularly Mark's gospel. Now, what Mark does is very interesting. Look at what he what he does. There is what we call as a story A. Then, un, apparently, to the story A, there is an unrelated story B. And after the story B is over, he comes back again to story A. So you have story A, one piece of bread, story B, stuffing. And story A again back. So in order to understand story A, you need to understand what is being conveyed in story B. That is what we call as Markan sandwich. Okay. So a competition for you, Rachel. Okay. He's also got a bakery. Markan sandwiches. There are at least 11 Markan sandwiches. Let us look at a few to get an idea. First, healing of the paralytic. Story A. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5a. B, authority to forgive sin. So suddenly this guy is lowered from the top. And you know what Jesus says? Son, your sins are forgiven. 
everybody is angry. How can you forgive sin? What is it easy to say? Pick up your mat and walk or to forgive sin? In order that you would know that the Son of Man has got power on earth to forgive sin, I say to you, coming back to the story now, so there's a stuffing which has been given, pick up your mat and walk. That is healing of the paralytic. So healing of the paralytic, you have two, two slices of bread in the middle you have a, you have a stuffing. Another, another incident, okay. Withered hand miracle. The guy with the withered hand. Jesus goes into the temple, is there on the Sabbath day. And everybody is watching Jesus see if he's gonna heal on the Sabbath. He looks at them and he's angry at their hardness of heart. And he gives them the Sabbath controversy. First he talks about, he looks at the withered man, talks about the Sabbath controversy, and then again he heals the Proving to them that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So the ultimate thing is not just a miracle per se, to convey the message in which is in D. Got it? Another, to get you used to this uh, pattern. Rejection of Jesus' family. So they came to Jesus and they want to take him by force. They think this guy is out of his mind. And then, Jewish leaders also reject him and rejection again by Jesus' family, especially his mother. Actually, now Jesus rejects his family because they say, your mother is waiting. He says, who is my mother? She's not my mother. All my people, who those who, who hear my words and do it are my mother and my brother and my brother, sister. That is how he sends this message across. Another, <clears throat> this is very famous. Jairus' daughter. Okay. People come, Jairus comes and says, Jesus, heal my daughter. And when he is healing, suddenly in that parable, there's a woman who is what? With the issue of blood, how many years? 12 years. How old is that lady? That, that girl, Jairus' daughter? 12 years. Okay. So we have Jairus' daughter. He heals this lady. And how did she, how is she healed? By faith. And then again he goes back to Jairus' daughter. And now coming to our story. Cursing of the fig tree. Cleansing of the temple. Going back to the cursing of the fig tree. Now, what is the cursing of the fig tree therefore related to? Excuse me? It is cleansing of the temple. You see, if Jesus wants to govern us, where is he going to govern us? He is going to govern us from our heart. Fig tree is actually symbolic to Israel. And when Jesus goes to eat, he is looking for what? Fruit. Primarily of the fruit of what? Repentance. He doesn't find anything. He curses the victory, comes back, cleanses the temple, goes back and he says, you know why? The victory withered because there's no fruit in their lives. What are the true fruits? My, my house should be called what? A house of prayer. First, there should have been an intimate relationship with God's not there. Second thing, you instead of making it a house of prayer, you made it into what? A den of robbers. How has it become a den of robbers? Because you have completely compromised and there's no holiness in your life. There are no two fruits. There's no fruit of relationship with God. There's no fruit of holiness. And therefore, when he comes back, what has happened to the fig tree? It has withered. That is a story that he's trying to convey. You get, you get that everybody? You got it? Okay. Now, what is the lesson we need to learn from here? Is the question. Let's move on to the lesson. Mm-hmm. If Jesus has to govern us in this temple, what will he do in order to cleanse it? I like this. First of all, let us look at why was a fig tree cursed? 
The next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he had come to it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the अरे apple trees में apple के season के time पे fruits फूट आता है ना what is he trying to say over here it was not the what for fix season the word in the Greek is what we call as it's not chronological time it is kairos what is kairos kairos means times where God intervenes in your life specifically for example I will tell you I was born in certain such a year okay Born in such and such a year. Progressing, 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 progressing. By the time I was 18 years old, that is when I heard the gospel. And when I responded to the gospel, I was saved. Uh, that was my Kairos moment. But when was I actually saved in God's eyes? Before the foundation of the world. Okay. And then progressing, 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 progressing. Okay. There was a time when somebody taught me the doctrine of baptism. Then I got baptized. Kairos moment. But when was I set apart to God? Before the foundation of the world. Now there was a time when God called me into ministry. Progressing, progressing, progressing. One day God called me into ministry. But when was I set apart for ministry? Before the foundation of the world. What God has already planned before the foundation of the world, in order for it to come to pass, there are certain specific moments in my life where God will intervene. And if I don't respond positively during those moments... God will pass me by. I remember very vividly, I shared this 150 times in the church, I'm sure, to different, different people in different, different contexts. Four months I asked God. Jesus, four months. And you wouldn't believe it, okay? That day, reading through John's Gospel chapter 4, verse 32, 33, 34. And remember that, no? Don't say there are four months. I was on the bike with my brother Rishi on the bike. Okay, he was driving us to university. I was reading my Bible. I saw, don't say four months, I had to close my Bible and I put it aside like that. No, 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 no. I'm playing roulette, I thought. But I was not actually playing roulette because I was doing a systematic reading. Then I went to pastor and I said, pastor, what is this? I asked God for four months and I read this. What does it mean? You know, he said, if you don't respond now, God will find somebody else. If I would not have responded at that time, the call of God would have passed my life. And it doesn't matter how much I fight for it, it will never come back to me again. Now exactly what has happened, Jesus has come to Jerusalem. Look at this. Luke's Gospel chapter 19. Look at this. Put this. Keep this in mind. Luke's Gospel chapter 19. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. If you had known... Even you, especially you, this, your day, the things that make your peace, but now they are hidden from you, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side. Sorry. And look at this next verse. And level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you in one stone upon the other, because you did not know the time of your visitation, meaning the time to respond to God's call has passed and you're finished. You've been looking green, you're looking very prosperous, but it's only a period of time. God has, God's anointing has left you, God's favor has left you, you're going to drive from the roots. 
Because you did not respond to God in the right time. I'll tell you something. This is a warning for all of us. There are specific times that God will keep on coming, 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 coming to you over and over and over again. After a time, he will not come anymore. Even if he comes, you cannot respond. Do you know that? Remember, Eli and Hophni and Phineas messing up the temple. No, Eli was not a messed up guy. He was so righteous. He was not doing what his children were doing. But he never corrected his children. They were doing all kinds of things in the temple. But God wanted to cleanse the temple. So you know what? They, they don't listen. His father does not rebuke him. You know what happens? A prophet is sent before Samuel. The prophet comes and says, because you chose to honor your children more than me, you know what will happen? They are going to die and there will be none in your descendants who can be my priest. What should have Eli done? What should Eli have done after that? He should have repented, but he did not repent. Because it's over now. He can't even repent. The time of repentance is is also gone. Time after time, God visits Saul. Time after time, God visits Saul. And he never changes. Never repents. Now, after that, there's no turning back again. Time after time after, this is 120 years, chronological time, 120 years, the building of the ark, 120 opportunities into 365 days, into 24 by 7. So many opportunities to respond to the call of God. But after a while, you know who shuts the door? God shuts the door. You know why? He says, my spirit will not contend with man because he is complete. He is flesh. Flesh, spirit will not contend with flesh forever. Time is up. Now, even if you want to change, you can't change. Let me give you a classic example of this from the Bible. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar, drinking from the holy vessels. This fellow messed up his life. Now the ultimate nail on the coffin. He takes the vessels, holy vessels, and he starts drinking wine from those holy vessels. Makes the holy things profane. Notice, what is profanity? Making holy things profane. Common. Common is profanity. When we use profanity... A.K.A. Sanskritam. What are we most of the time doing? Taking sacred things in the sight of God and making it common. Understand that. Okay, that apart. This guy is messing it up and then comes the writing on the wall. His knees begin to shake and immediately calls his soothsayers, his astrologers and his magicians. And they are not able to interpret. Daniel comes. Daniel, he says, Daniel, if you interpret, I am going to put a royal robe on you. Daniel says, your gifts perish with you. And look at what he says. This is the interpretation of each word. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You have been weighed in the balances, found wanting. Your kingdom has been divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. What did Belteshaz have to do then? At least he should have said, oh my goodness, what can I do to change the heart of God? He never did that. You know what he did? Look at what it says, the next verse. Then Belteshazzar gave a command. They clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck, made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And after that, that very night, Belteshazzar died. Finished? No turning back. There are specific moments in your life God comes. That is the reason why we do not know when God comes. Because he is not in our hands. Hmm? 
God is not in our hand. Who is in our, who are, we are in God's hands. So what we do? We come every time the word is preached, we give ourselves maximum opportunities so that when God comes that day, we are there in his presence. I mean, this is a little controversial. February 14th, 2011? 2010. February 14th, 2010. I'm looking at my wife, not because it's Valentine's Day. Something else had happened that day. It, I think it was a second Saturday. <clears throat> second Saturday, you know, we were praying and we had this leading, you know, through the church. On that Saturday, the church, when you come for fasting and prayer, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We had this. We were all excited. And I, at that time, I, would, I didn't have this experience. Now, this time I said, Lord, I believe it. I'm going to grab it with both my hands. And I was asking, Pastor, how do I prepare myself? Should I fast and come? And all those things. Pastor said, just because you're fasting, it doesn't mean that he's going to baptize you. Spirit is given not because of your works. It is given as a gift. I was like, oh Lord, I want it. By, you have to accept it and receive it by faith. So we had, you know, brothers in the church. And that day, we will work in our university. There's no second Saturday. We work six days a week. We are sabbatical people. Six days work, seventh day rest. No five day week. Okay. So six days we were working. So that day I didn't go to university and I came right on time. You know, we were all together in one accord and we had the upper room experience that day. And we, all of us missed many of us, not all of us. Many of us got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that time, you know, it was like, my goodness, I was not getting that expression, you know, I was not getting the, uh, the, 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 the gift of the tongues, and I was getting scared. And Pastor James came to me, he put his hand on me, and he said, Vijay, you already have it, just speak. Just speak. That was my Kairos moment. You know what the Lord told me? A genuine man of God, believe him. I said, Lord, And I opened my lips, heavenly language started coming and I became a fool for Christ. And I was like one small boy who gets his toy, holding it, running onto my rooftop, you know, speaking and speaking and speaking and speaking because I was so excited. And I come to church, one brother who didn't come. Pastor told him, you're not there. No, I was not there. Why were you not there? Vijay got baptized. So many of us got baptized. And he started weeping. It was a chaos moment for many of us. Some people had genuine reasons not to come. They got baptized later. But this guy, he decided not to come. He never got baptized. Kairos moment. See, I know those moments. There's those like that. Kairos moments in my life. After that, everything changed. I became a hardcore Pentecostal. See? Very night. This is, this is something you need to understand. There are moments in your life where God will intervene. Look at what it says. Psalm 32. Everybody knows Psalm 32? Yeah? Everybody knows Psalm 32? Let us look at one specific verse in Psalm 32. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my sins. You see, this is I said, I said, I said. I was talking to this, uh, talking to the men the, the other today. There are certain things we speak to ourselves and God records it in the Psalms. What do we speak to ourselves? The things that the righteous people speak to themselves, the things that wicked people speak to themselves, speak to themselves, which category do you belong to? Look at what it says. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgive the iniquity of my sin 
for this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time that you may be found. In a time, in a kairos moment, you may be found. Now you know what it's talking about in uh, Ephesians chapter 5? Redeem the what is time there? Kairos, not Kronos. What does it mean? Give yourselves maximum opportunities so that God can sovereignly move in your life. Sovereignly. Don't miss any opportunity. Because that day could be your day and you are not found in the house of God. Don't take any assembly. That is the reason why it's called solemn assembly. Children of God come together. There is one promise that we hang up, hang ourselves upon where two or three, we are more than three. His presence is here. If his presence is here, it's possible that he will touch me. And this could be my day. Come with that expectancy in your heart every time you come to church and you will go back blessed. That day could be your chaos moment. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not come nearly. Psalm 32. But, turn at my rebuke. Look at this. Turn at my rebuke. I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called you, you refuse. I stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdain all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. You know what I will do? Then I will laugh at your calamity. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because all opportunities for those kind of moments are over. Your time is up. Because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord. Look at what it says. The turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of the fools will destroy. What is complacency of the fools? Meaning, where is the promise of his coming? Yeah. Everything, the harvest is over, everything has happened, but we are still not saved. Kairos moments are gone. Everything is gone. Thirdly, where is the promise of scoffers in the last days who will walk after, after their own lusts but they will not have an expectancy to hear from God. There are Kairos moments in our lives. Those moments we need to value and hold on to them. And today could be a Kairos moment. It could be. I'm not saying that today something will happen. But you know what? We come by faith. He's saying, Lord, I surrender to your sovereign will. Today you could you could touch me. Today could be the day of my breakthrough. Today something will happen in my spirit. Something that will change the course of my life. Hmm. Okay? So, let's go back to Mark's Gospel chapter 11. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple. After he curses the fig tree, what does he do? He begins to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. That's exactly what Jesus does. How does he do it? Let me tell you how he does it. And then he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And you know what he does? Read that please. Then he, ah, he teaches. It is unique to Mark. Every other gospel will say, and then he said, in this place, you know what he says? He sat down and he started teaching them. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But what have you made it? You have made it into a den of robbers. You know what he's trying to do in every one of our lives through the teaching of God's word? He's driving out the money changers from our lives. Driving out the areas of compromise. Cleansing us through the teaching of the word of God. If the teaching of the word of God is not driving out things, areas in your life, you are not under authentic teaching possibility. Second possibility, even you, if you are under authentic teaching, you have come to a point where you cannot be moved anymore. Finished. Heart has been hardened to the point of no return. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how may this time for the, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his what? And his teaching. You see that? Look at what it says in another place in Gospel according to Mark. What kind of a fruit he's looking for before I go to that place? What kind of a fruit he's looking for? Prayer, meaning intimate fellowship. That is what he's looking for. But what does he find? Intimate fellowship with God. But what does he find? Jeremiah chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there the word of the Lord saying, and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers forever and ever. But behold, you trust in lying words that do not profit. Will you steal? Will you murder? Will you watch pornography? Will you speak lies to your father and mother? Burn incense to Baal means you burn incense to your of your your career. Walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, "We are delivered to do all these abominations." Meaning, it doesn't matter how I live; God has forgiven me, past, present, future. No sanctification is required. I'm delivered. Doesn't matter how I live. Has this house, which is called by my name, become what? A den of thieves. You know what Jesus is doing? He's taking two places from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7. He's saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he goes to Jeremiah and he's, chapter 7 and he says, but this has become what? A den of robbers. A den of absolute compromisers. Complete compromisers. But they come to the Lord, they come on, on, on Sunday morning and they raise their hands and start worshipping. But they can't. I'm looking for fruit of prayer, of intimate fellowship with me, but I don't find anything. I'm looking for a fruit of holiness, but I don't find anything. I don't find it. And what am I doing? I'm teaching. So that through the word of God, you will develop an intimate relationship and you will drive out things which will cause you to become common. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Is this not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. He started teaching them. Be careful of what you hear, what you're being taught. 
This is very, very important. Teaching. You know, as I said, our kingdom is what kingdom? It's a spiritual kingdom. And the teaching of the word of God, is it aimed at the natural kingdom or at the spiritual kingdom? Teaching of the word of God is not not for you to benefit in this world. I was uh, dropping Pastor James to the airport in the morning yesterday. He was telling me, Vijay, you mentioned Naran Murthy in your message the last time. I said, yes. But be very careful when you're mentioning Naran Murthy. Just because you use the principles of the kingdom and you succeed in this world, it does not mean that you belong to the kingdom. You all use principles of the kingdom and you succeed in this world. But the principles of the kingdom are not to bring you success in this world. The principle of the kingdom is to prepare you for the heavenly kingdom. It's more of a spiritual blessing than any other thing. One of the things that all of us need to realize, you work hard. Boss, I'm telling you, you work hard. Be an absolute hard-working, diligent guy. But let me tell you something. Don't depend upon your hard work. Develop your intellect, develop your rationality, develop your thinking, read books, read, study, do all kinds of exercises so that you're, you can sharpen your intellect, but don't depend upon your intellect. Surrender your intellect to God. Surrender your, your strength to God, hard work to God. You know what will happen after that? If you really do that, you'll become like Paul. You know what? When you read Paul, this guy, if he was a computer science guy, he will give all the big computer science guys a run for their money. If he was a physicist, he would have give, given Albert Einstein a run for his money. I look at his mind. I look at Romans chapter Romans. If I read through Romans, boss, we read through Romans, right? Read through Romans. And you should see the kind of logic and argument, articulation, philosophical arguments that he's coming up with. You will just be amazed at his intellect. But you know what? It never depends upon intellect. You know what he says? When I came to you, I did not come with persuasive words and of wisdom of men so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but on the what? On the power of God. Work hard and develop your intellect, but don't depend upon it. Surrender it. Because you know why? Teaching is not at the intellectual level. It is at the spiritual level. You see, every time you ask people to give solutions to any problems, you know what they'll give? They will give you naturalistic solutions. Save more. Be careful with your money. Don't invest in base places. When you see that there is no returns, don't invest. But you know what Jesus will say? Isaac is going to Egypt. Because there is famine. God says, don't go. So in famine. There's no water. There's no irrigation. And you're saying that I should sow in famine. You sow in famine. What will I get? I don't know. You sow. And he sows by faith. And how much does he reap? A hundredfold during famine. That is spiritual kingdom. You, With all your intellect, nobody will suggest you to sow in famine. They will say, save your seed. So that when the harvest, real rain comes, then you can sow. But not this man. That is what we call a life of faith. A life of faith. Understand that. Okay. Mark's Gospel chapter 2. Look at what it says. And when, and they were astonished at his what? Teaching. For he taught 
them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You know, I was asking myself, what is anointing? When you say, that guy is an anointed worship leader. What does it mean? He's an anointed preacher. What does it mean? Oh, he can preach very powerfully. Is that, is that what it means? Oh, he speaks with such energy, with such vigor. He, when he leads worship, he's so excited. Everybody in the, in the congregation is singing. Is that, is that, is that what anointing means? I was trying to understand what anointing means, you know. When I read through the Bible, you know what anointing actually means? It means this. Whenever you are under the anointing, whatever you are speaking, the Spirit of God comes and backs it up. That is anointing. Listen to him. What he's saying is true. Listen to him. What he's saying is true. That is anointing. Lord, give me more anointing. Meaning, Lord, I should be so surrendered. I should be so in one with you. Whatever I'm speaking, it's as if you are actually speaking. You know what Paul says? I have the dash of Christ. Mind of Christ. Can you see the confidence of this guy? In other words, if Christ were thinking, he would be thinking like me. Hang your heads in shame. If Christ were taking a decision, he would be taking the decision that I'm going to take. If Christ were taking, going on a mission trip, he would be taking the kind of decisions that I take. Would he be shipwrecked? Absolutely. Would he go through all the storms? Absolutely. That is what he's talking about. That is anointing where the spirit of God comes around alongside you and backs you up. That is anointing. All the other thing is emotion. Nonsense. Look at what he says. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught as the one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried saying, let us alone what we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. And what is he doing? They're all shouting and Jesus is saying, shh, shut up, please come out. He's not like these people. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out. No, no, what is your name? What is your name? Tell me. No, 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 no. Get out, please. Shh, shh. Go on. That is anointing. You know what? They are astonished at the teaching. And look at what they say. Their response, look at what it says. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, cried out with the voice, it came out of him. And they were all amazed and questioned themselves, What is this? What is this new? Oh no, they didn't say, What is this new miracle worker? No, 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 no. What is this? Teaching Baba. When I come under this teaching, I feel deliverance. That is the reason why deliverance happens in two ways. When an anointed preacher comes and I mean, uh, deliverance minister will come and say, in the name of Jesus, I cast out all demons. All the demons are gone. But his house is empty. Okay, what happens when the house is empty? That fellow is gone. Are my house is swept and cleaned. I will go back to my house. Now this time what does he do? He takes seven more demons, more wicked than that fellow. Comes back and the last stage is worse than the first stage. Why? Because the house is empty. But the only way one can actually truly experience deliverance is in it. Progressively allow the word of God to fill you from inside. Progressively, slowly. You know what he says? The seven nations more powerful than you, you shall drive them out. How? Little by little. Chota, chota, chota karke. Slowly. If you drive it all at once, who will come? A wild beast will come. And you will become like a beast. You see? 
slowly. That is teaching. Teaching of the word of God should bring deliverance into our lives. So the question we need to ask, where is he governing us from? From our hearts. Ask me, ask yourself this question. Is your heart full of God's word? Think about it, no? Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, who standeth in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but, ah, delight first in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. If you don't delight, you will not meditate. Only what you delight. You know what David says in Psalm 16? Even in the night time, my heart instructs me. Boy! What? Lord, you guide me with your counsel. I bless the Lord at all times because he guides me with this counsel. Even in the night, my heart instructs me. In other words, when he's sleeping, his heart is speaking. You know, you read this verse, the connection from this verse, this is what it means. Are Baba, kya baat hai? Kya baat hai? You fill yourselves with movies, what will come in your mind? Movies. Shahrukh will come. Okay, and you will have no book for the word of God. You will have only Shahrukh. Understand? See, this is so important. You fill yourselves with the word of God and when you start meditating, it will start instructing you. Even when you, you know, when somebody is preaching, you know what happens? When pastor is preaching sometimes, I know, when next, when next verse is this. I tell my wife, next verse is this. Next verse is that. Next verse is this. Next verse is that. You know why? Because I've heard him so much. I delight every time I go to a pastor's conference. I sit, I could have heard that word 10 times, but the 11th time I'm hearing, again fresh. That is how the word of God is, if you delight. He's going to govern you from your hearts. So, we know the nature of the king. We know the nature of the kingdom. We know the place from where he is going to govern. The place is your heart. And what is the law? What is the law of this kingdom? Any ideas? Kya baat hai? Samir is intelligent. You know, he's got the A of the A for the day. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 onwards. Oh, no man anything. Kya baat hai? How many of you debtors here in the house of God this morning? Don't raise your hands. Be honest. You've conveniently taken money and conveniently forgotten. And whenever the debtors come, whenever your creditors come, you act as if you don't know them. Hi, hi, won't you know? But you'll never speak about the money that you have to return. You know what it says in Romans, if Psalms 37, the dash borrow and never repay the wicked. Do you owe the government taxes? Please pay. Don't play. Owe no man anything except the debt of love, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Think about it. How, when will you not covet when your heart is full of love? And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You see that? Love is the fulfillment of the law. In other words, it is the not just the letter of the law, it is also the spirit of the law. You fulfill the spirit of the law, not just the letter. You don't do it because you are forced to do it. Now think about it. Does every kingdom need money? 
Answer? Yes. Does the kingdom of God need money? Ah, nah, nah. Let us be honest, Baba. Yes. It is not dependent upon money, but it needs money. Who's going to give the money? Noah built the ark. Okay? Who gave Noah the ark? Noah the money? Not the bank of whatever. They didn't loan him. Noah thought, Aray, make a chasa loan le letao. 150 years. EMIs. After that, what will happen? Flood will come. Okay. Everything will be wiped out. Bank also is wiped out. Okay. That is a lot. Lot of people will do this. You know, they will take one credit card, another credit card, all credit card debt. I know what, you know what they do in Canada, right? All the desis. They take TD bank credit card. They take, he's laughing. Hmm. Bank of Montreal credit card. They will take uh, Scott, 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 Scottish bank credit card. Every credit card they will swipe. They will get onto the flight. Come back to India. Let those fellows run for their lives there. And the email after email is coming. You are out of Canada's jurisdiction. Noah, if Noah would have done that, would he, would he be called righteous? He would have also been a part of the people who are washed away. Noah found grace in the side of So the question is, who funded Noah's ark? Answer, Noah and his children. But how did they fund it? Out of their heart, willingly. No force. That is what the kingdom does to you. No, that is the reason why you know what it says. They gave themselves first and then out of the will of God. Their poverty actually turned into abundance. How, Baba? Because they gave their hearts to the Lord and out of that heart they gave. That is the law of love. No compulsion. It is a law of love. That is the reason why you know what happens when Moses wants to build a temple. Whoever wants to give, oh, Baba, everybody came. Willingly. Then Moses said, thank you. We don't need any more. We have sufficient. David, you know what he did? He acquired, he cannot build the temple, but he acquired everything possible to build the temple and he gave something from his treasury also. Out of his heart. That is the reason why he wrote 106 Psalms. It's a law of love. So four things we looked at. Looked at. First thing, the nature of the king, the nature of the kingdom, the place where he's going to rule from, the law of the kingdom. Fifth thing, how do I become a subject? Answer. How do I become a subject? How, who doesn't want to become a citizen of the United States of America? They are applying for PR and uh, green card and all these things. But you know what? For becoming the citizen of the heavenly kingdom, all you need to do is this. Matthew chapter 21. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And then the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple. Who crying out of the temple? Children crying out of the temple. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to him, Yes, have you not read out of the mouth of 
What should you become? Unless you are converted like little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is how you become a subject. You become a little child and say, Lord, I want to be a part of this kingdom. In other words, you don't try to rationalize, intellectualize. No, 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 nothing. Just take it. You said it? Okay. You know, see and you believe is outside. Believe and you will see is faith. See and you believe is sight. Believe and you see will is faith. Be converted. John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, I'm telling you, you could, you could have been in the house of God for so many years. If you're not born again, you're not a part of the kingdom. You're not a subject. If you not have that experience of being born again, you're not a subject of the kingdom. Jesus answered, and most assuredly I said to you, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is how I become a subject. But now question is, many of us are already subjects, right? How do I know I'm a subject? Very simple. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. First thing, you know how I know that I'm in the kingdom? I have peace. Question is, do you have peace? Now, what is peace? Peace ka matlab kya hai? Peace in the, in the Greek, in the, in the Hebrew is shalom. Shalom means peace. In Arabic is assalamu alaikum. Okay. In, in Persian is salam. I don't know what it is in, uh, in, in Hindi. I think it is shanti. Okay. What is peace? I'll tell you what peace means. Peace is not the absence of trouble. I'll tell you what peace is. How many of you have, uh, how many of you have seen the Royal Enfield bike? Okay. Used Royal Enfield bike, it has come after servicing. Okay. We have Roshan, who is a owner, proud owner of 1001. That's his number, right? 1001? Okay. That, I know 1001. Okay. 1001 is owned by Roshan. Now, when he services it and he starts the engine, The sound of the engine. Mama. Yem sound. You know why? Every small nut and bolt is in absolute harmony. And the bike is in one singular piece. And when he drives, it flies. Uh, That is peace. In other words, every Everything in your life is in absolute order. That is peace. Ramatuna, in the house, mother is under father. There is peace. Mother, father, children, they are in order. There is peace. Otherwise, there is peace, peace. You all become Nukaraju. Raisni, peace chesa. Telangana all kardangala. Okay. You see, when there is absolute harmony and divine order, submission in your life, then you have peace. Otherwise, you can be named cause for peace, but there is absolute rebellion in your life. You know who's, what's his name? Cause for peace ka naam kya hai? Abshalom. Abshalom ka matlab kya hai? Father of peace. That means he is the one who brings peace. 
David named. क्या देखे नेम करा मुझे नहीं मालूम Maybe he saw his long hair. अरे ये मुन्नड़ माय. He will bring peace. He brought peace, peace. When there is rebellion, there is no peace. If there is rebellion in your heart, there is no peace. That is the reason why it says there is no rest for the wicked. The wicked run when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Peace. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? Are you under authority? Do you submit to every godly authority that God has ordained in your life? Are you fighting it? It doesn't matter how successful you are. You still don't have peace. Second, do I have joy? I was glad, very glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. How do you come to the house of the Lord? Boy, expectancy. That is the house of the Lord. PVR. Joy. Delight. You know what the psalmist says? Lord, preserve me, O God, for in thee I put my trust. I said unto my Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Meaning, whenever there are saints, I just want to go and be with them and encourage them and be encouraged by them like Paul. But I want to be edified by the mutual faith of one another. Those who run after other gods, they will not prosper. The drink offerings of blood, I will not answer. I will not even take their names on my lips. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Nice boundaries you gave me, Lord. Don't look there. Don't look there. Don't marry this person. Don't look at that girl. Go to this church. Don't go there. Beautiful lions you have drawn for me. I'm enjoying my inheritance. That is peace. That is joy. See? That is the reason why David has this confidence. Lord, I will bless you at all times. You will guide me with your counsel. Even in the night, my heart instructs me. You have made me known the paths of life. In your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. And in your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And you know what it is called? What of David? It is called the miktam of David. You know how it is translated into Telugu? The Davidu Rasika Kavyamu. Rasikudu. The connoisseur. Rasikudu. Davidu Rasika Kavyam. I enjoy you, God. Joy. That is how I know I am a subject. I am that is the reason why Paul says, I'm not a servant. I am a, what servant? Bond servant. Whatever, I love my king, Lord. You just take my ear and pierce it. That's it, over. You have my ear. Whatever you say, I do. Finished. Because I love you. Peace and joy. So we have 
six things we looked at today. What is the first thing? The nature of the king. Second, the nature of the kingdom. Third, the place from where the king is going to govern the hearts of men. Fourth, the law of the king. Fifth, how do I become a subject of the king? I become born again. How do I remain a subject in his kingdom? I have peace and I have joy. I am under his authority and I enjoy him. The chief goal of man is to know him and enjoy him forever. That is the chief and ultimate goal of every man. No God, no peace. N-O God, N-O peace. K-N-O-W God, K-N-O-W peace. No God, no peace, no God, no peace. Tongue in cheek, but you got the message. So how many of you are willing subjects in the house of God this morning? How many of you want to be willing subjects? Let's all stand up. See, these are things which will progressively God will do, but you have to start somewhere. You know? You see, you can teach somebody math, but a guy is enjoying math, that's a different ball game altogether. There's a doer and there's an artist. Artist, he's enjoying. He's not worried. You know, some people, they learn Beethoven to make money. They learn Beethoven to make money. After a while, they love Beethoven so much, they spend money because they want to enjoy Beethoven. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. We come to God because we want solutions. But after that, we tasted God. (laughs) Forget about the solution. (laughs) I want you. Let there be more problems so that I can know you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this Palm Sunday, we want to know you. We don't just want to know about you. We want to know you. That is the nature of your kingdom. That every subject has an intimate relationship with you. And if we have backslidden and we have, we have wasted that relationship and we have gone away, I pray, Father, this morning you would reorient us back into that straight and narrow path. It'll just not be duty. It'll be delight. Your word says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want to delight in you, O Lord. Grant us grace to that end. May your Holy Spirit guard our hearts and draw our hearts and drive our hearts into the love of God and the patience of Christ. If you have lost that first love, bring us back to that first love. So many people who are they are outside the kingdom, even here in this body of believers, I pray, Father, that Lord, you would quicken them and cause them to be born again, and they become let them, such that they will become subjects of your kingdom. And those of us who are already subjects will come under authority, enjoy peace, and have joy, because it will just not be submission; it will be delightful surrender. 
To that end I pray that you would bless us all. Anoint us through the week. That your word will work its way in us. In, into our authentic part of our inner man. And strengthen that inner man who is authentic. And drive out the lies from, in, from inside of our heart. Grant us grace. Thank you Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. Commit all of us into your hands. The rest of the week into your hands. Even as your children go into the rest of the week. Let your presence go ahead of them. Let your presence be with them. Let them enjoy your peace and your joy. Send us into this world with your peace and with your joy. Because your word says how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel of peace. Father, enable us to be heralds of your kingdom, of your good news. <clears throat> in our offices, in our workplaces, in our, in our universities, colleges, schools, wherever you have placed us. Enable us to be men of peace and not men of war. Thank you, Father. Praise you. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have good fellowship with one another.